0: Hello and welcome to The Stack. On today's show, we speak with the editor-in-chief of one of Sweden's leading newspapers, plus a magazine where basketball meets art, and 20 Seconds, a title on experimental music and art. Enjoy the show. From Midori Housing London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Peter Wolodarski will this year celebrate his 10th anniversary as the editor-in-chief of Dagens Nyheter, one of Sweden's leading national newspapers. Monaco's Markus Hippe caught up with him at the World Economic Forum in Davos to discuss the changes in the Swedish media landscape since 2013. Peter's thoughts about the recipe for success in the future and why it's important to have different people and the right balance in the newsroom.
1: Peter Voldarsky, you have been heading Dagets Nyheter as an editor-in-chief for almost a decade now. It's going to be exactly 10 years in March. How would you describe the way the Swedish media landscape has changed in that time? So I think back in 2012,
2: 2013, there was a lot of uncertainty about, especially quality newspapers, if they would be able to make a transition into digital, and if there was a sustainable business model for those kind of papers. And now, I think, during, over those years, I think some of us, <laughs> also Dagens Njöte, not least Dagens News actually, we have proved that there is a model that is well-functioning, and the model is based on digital subscriptions. But if you go back 10 years in time, I mean, I remember it was a lot of skepticism about charging people for journalism in a digital space because digital everything was supposed to be free. So uh, we were actually laughed at when we started to do digital subscriptions. It was not what we were supposed to be doing, but we did and the bumblebee flew. Excellent. And how is the print side of things doing? Well, print is alive and kicking. Uh, it's much smaller than it used to be, but it's still a, a big operation. I mean, we have something like 120,000 in circulation in print, which is a lot, I think. And it's a business that is still very profitable. Of course, we have to work on it all the time to reduce costs in our printing facilities, deliveries, etc. I mean, that's an industry of its own. And we've also raised cover price of print, but it's still supporting. Without print, we would not be able to make, be as profitable as we are now. And I don't foresee print to disappear in the next five or even 10 years.
1: But eventually, print will will not be what it was. At the same time, there are arguments that people will always love paper and they will always love the feeling of it and, and they always feel like that is the right way of consuming media.
2: Yeah, and I love uh, the printed version of the newspaper as well. But it's if you compare the uh, newspaper market with the book market, for example, you see much more stable development in the book market. So printed books are not going down with something like 10% per year. But with newspapers those numbers are real so uh, if that continues and you have a lot of fixed cost in that industry it's not difficult to foresee that eventually we will reach a point where print is not profitable anymore and it becomes more and more expensive to deliver that kind of product to the consumer even though there might be still be a demand for it so therefore I I think we have to embrace 100% digital we have to make even much better products than we are today and I mean for us we have more than double the size of, of digital subscriptions compared to print. I mean it's clear what our future is and it's not print.
1: Now Peter you have been in charge of New Nyheter for 10 years how have you developed that product?
2: So basically I think during that time it was very much a print focus still in 2013 I think that's the biggest change that we, we are not talking that much about print, although I think many people in an organization, including me, will, I love the printed newspaper, but it's not in focus anymore. So really focusing on the journalism, no matter what channels are, are big at the moment, and trying to reach as many people as possible with that journalism and to build a loyalty with the ones that are paying for it.
1: And what's your definition of good journalism? How have you changed the way Dagest Newherter sees things and writes about things? I think especially in the
2: digital space, you need to stand out. In the former times, with less competition, I think it was easier for us to produce a good enough newspaper. And we would be able to survive on that. In the digital space, it becomes, and with, with competition and all the choices that people can make, not only between newspapers, but everything that you do basically with your mobile phone, if you don't stand out, then you will not get the attention of the audience. And at the same time, we want to build lasting relationships with our readers. So there's always, you need to strike the right balance between the stuff that gets a lot of attention and almost get is viral, and the things that really deepens the understanding of what is going on in, in the world. And that might not become viral, but still hugely important for the trust in the brand, and the reason why someone would stay as a scribe
1: not only for for a month, but for 10 years. Well, besides the obvious audience figures, what kind of other criteria do you have for how well you have performed?
2: Well, we are measured on the bottom line, (laughs) profitability. So uh, I'm measured by that. That's not, of course, the only criteria, but we came from an environment where we were actually losing money and we had to lay off people. And I think since I've been at the newspaper now for 20 years and I've seen both eras, an era where we were struggling financially and an era where we were actually performing well in the market, there's nothing as threatening for journalism as when you're losing money and when you're not financially stable as a company. And I think many people within the organization also realized that during the difficult years, So the fact that we are profitable and that we are making money and we seem to have a sustainable business model, I think it's hugely important for the creativity and also, I mean, just to stand up for what we are doing and be able to do that in a pretty tough political environment as well. If you're strong economically, it will be much easier to take hits from powerful people, powerful organizations or whatever. will meet you when you publish.
1: What is your prediction of the future of journalism? I I know that this morning here in Davos you went to see a discussion about AI and what a difference it can make. Do you think that is something that is going to be used more widely in the future? I mean, for sure it
2: will. But I'm still a strong, very strong believer in in the professional journalist, the human. The human that also make a selection. The human that rely on data, but at the end of the day, it's a human decision. And I think our readers are actually expecting us to do that. And that might be a strong reason why they want to subscribe, because they know and they believe strongly in the power of professional journalists. So at least that has been our our niche uh, when others have jumped into this. Let data decide everything, let the algorithm work. We went in the other direction. But I think there will be
1: a market for, for both. Are we also talking about the brand individual journalists can have? You may want to read something from your favorite writer. You don't want to read, or I wouldn't want to read, something that's been written by an algorithm.
2: Yeah, yeah for sure. So at a newspaper like ours, I think you need to have strong personalities. But there is always also a balance between s- how many strong personalities do you need to have. <laughs> what is too much? And the brand. And the brand. So we did now 25 deep interviews with uh, representative subscribers from all over Sweden and ask them about their expectations about the brand. It was interesting to hear that most people expect more from the brand than from individual journalists. But of course they can name some of our most profile journalists. So we need to f- all the time work with the most talented people and, and, and some of them will become very famous, but we also need to think about the brand and, and the entire team in the newsroom. So we're not just a collection of stars. <laughs> we're also a, a, a team. It's it's a it's a team it's really a team effort. I mean look at the economist. That's the other extreme. So you only have the economist and you don't have any byline at all.
1: So what does that mean for you in your position? How do you keep that right balance and 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 what are your management tips? Basically, what kind of a boss are you? You have to ask the people who work
2: <laughs> with me, but um I think I've I've also developed my style over the years and maybe changed it a little bit. So um, I really believe strongly in you can't build a great newspaper in the long run with a lasting success. If it's only built around 20% of the people in the, in the newsroom, on the editorial team. You really need to have as many people on board as possible. That might sound obvious, but if you believe in that and you want to make it happen that means you can't put too much emphasis on individual stars. What does that mean in practice? Well, you have to talk about it, that each and every one counts. I remember after the years of massive layoffs that we had, there was this notion within the industry that, oh, the the old people that we had had for 20-30 years, they are a burden, they should leave, we should only employ young people. I think that was a huge mistake, that kind of thinking. Because what we've seen, not least with these crises that affect us heavily, economic crisis, geopolitical crisis, rising populism, you really need the experienced journalist as well that knows a lot and have been around for a long time. And you want them to work with younger journalists. So you need that cross-functionality and cross-interaction, which has also been a struggle now with the pandemic when people have been working from home. So we really want people to get back to the newsroom because we are losing this cooperation and, I mean, the entire learning process within the newsroom between journalists with different backgrounds and experiences.
1: Just finally, Peter, what do you have in the pipeline for the future of Dagens There.
2: Well, we have to continue to grow, although we have now almost 300,000 pure digital subscriptions. I think we should not be... We should be happy with that, but it's, I think we should raise the bar. I think in the digital space there is room to become much bigger than we used to be in the printed times. So what I'm talking about with people at the newspaper is that we should, we should reach, try to reach half a million subscribers in total.
1: It's a lot for a country that is the size of Sweden.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we I mean, we are often we want to be, we like to be compared with The New York Times. But actually, <laughs> if we if we measure the number of subscribers that we have in terms of population, we are actually much bigger than they are. But I think, I mean, the number of people with higher ed- education are much more people now in Sweden than, than in the past. And kind of audience I think that we should be able to attract is bigger now than in the past. A digital copy is much easier to distribute than a printed copy, so why shouldn't we raise the bar? So that's what I'm trying to signal to everyone. And to never be, I mean, you're never as good with your journalism as as the last article that you have published.
1: Always good to remember, how are you going to reach that half a million subscribers figure?
2: I think great journalism is the key. It starts and it ends with that. We're actually, I, I chatted with one of our editors in the morning about the great story. I think that will be a big, huge story in Sweden when it comes out. <laughs> Maybe next week, we'll see. Do you want to reveal anything? And, 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 I, and I, I really feel, that, I mean, this kind of excitement that I feel when I discuss these stories. I, I think that's the reason why I'm still doing the job and I want to do the job because I I, 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 I'm not bored by it. On the contrary, I've, I feel excited. And you, that's the most dangerous thing you can do as a journalist when you start to be blasé and, and you think that you know everything and you've seen everything and you understand everything. It's, it's a huge mistake.
0: That was Peter Volodarsky, editor-in-chief of Dagens Nihete, there in discussion with Monaco's Markus Hippie. <music> and now, welcome back to the show, Justin Montag from Franchise Magazine, a title that covers basketball in a different way. After a three-year hiatus, they're back with a new issue and plenty of new projects too, including an apparel line, a record label and a gallery in Los Angeles. Justin tells me more. Justin Montague, welcome back to The Stack. There's been a little bit of a hiatus between the last issue of Franchise and this one, and so much have happened in between. So I presume during this period, there's a few redesigns to the magazine, a new gallery. There's plenty to talk But let's start with the magazine. What, What have you changed in Franchise, actually?
3: Yeah, you know, this new issue, we're really excited to welcome Brian Rodinger as the art director of the magazine. A legendary designer who I've been a fan and friend of for quite a while and really honored to have him become the art director of the magazine and really add his touch. And, you know, we really blew it up and really took a new stance in the design and the direction of the look and feel of the magazine.
0: And what about topics-wise? Of course, there's a lot of basketball, a lot of art in it. Were there any changes in the content you wanted to do for franchise?
3: Yeah, editorially, basketball has always been at the heart and of the DNA of the brand. With this new issue, we tried to expand the editorial approach and really try and integrate a wide variety of artists whose craft might not necessarily be inspired or directly influenced by basketball. And I think, you know, as the brand grows, as we expand into, you know, record label and gallery, you'll see more of that direction where basketball is always important to us and a part of the brand. But there's a a lot of other avenues to pursue and things to highlight.
0: Tell us about the cover as well, because it's interesting because it makes you kind of look at it. And it's really, it's fascinating. And and I want to know more and how it relates to one of the big stories as well, which I believe is an interview with Sue uh, Bird as well, which is a very, I mean, iconic figure from women's basketball, right?
3: exactly one of the greatest of all time uh, women basketball players basketball players uh, sue bird's a legend and we were really fortunate to work with her in this new issue and for the cover you know we worked with the artist chris lloyd a new york-based artist who i'm a big fan of he actually did a cover art for our first release we had on the record label by kush jones chris is an amazing artist really big fan of his and he took his style and did some research on sue and everything that, you know, Sue stands for, Sue's history, her playing style, and really did this Joan of Arc style cover with Sue in mind. And, you know, I think the casual fan would look at this and not realize this is Sue Bird inspired cover until you dig a little deeper. And the actual logo we changed on the front of the magazine as well. We started utilizing this logo that we've had on some t-shirts and some other products, but it's an amazing logo designed by Hassan Rahim amazing designer and so you know it's it's uh chris lloyd's cover his artwork and his interpretation of Suberd,
0: and franchise as you said at the beginning you now it's not just a magazine you know there's the apparel i'm very curious what about the label you know i love music yeah. i want to know a bit more about the label and what type of music you guys yeah. kind of use it on the label
3: yeah i'd love to talk about the label my 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 most of my career was in music. So when I jumped to do franchise, I knew it would be just a matter of time before I dived into music. And it started with an NTS radio show, which we still do a monthly show on NTS. And it grew from there into a record label. You know, I came across some tracks by Kush Jones, amazing producer from the Bronx, and heard these tracks and I was like, what are you doing with these? And had the amazing opportunity to put them out as our first release on the label and then last year that was in 2021 and in 2022 we put out an amazing record by tomu dj an ambient house jungle style record that's really really beautiful listen and was fortunately met with some pretty cool critical acclaim as well as a release by Brack, uh uk grime producer mc who's doing some really incredible stuff. And we've got a full slate of releases scheduled for this year from an indie rock compilation to another release by Tomu, as well as some other you know, really cool releases by, one is Italian electronic producer who goes by Money Lang.
0: And I'm curious as well about the gallery space. It will reopen in February, right? Tell us a bit more if our listeners, perhaps if they're in L.A. or if they live in L.A., what can they find there? Is there a different set of exhibitions during the year?
3: Yeah, we opened the gallery. We moved in in February. We opened our doors last June Mm. and we've had a handful of shows. We have a full slate of shows starting this February. We were fortunate to show not in New York and not in Miami last year, the art fairs, and we're able to bring some of the artists who we showed at our gallery to these fairs. And the gallery is really an extension of the magazine and an extension of the brand, where we're able to really showcase artists who we feature in the magazine in a physical space. So really bringing the magazine and the curation to life. One great example, I think, of how the synergy of the magazine and the gallery and the record label work together is the artist Jacob Rochester. We had a show with Jacob of his paintings up in the gallery in October, and that was the same month as the magazine came out, which featured an interview with Jacob. And then towards the end of his show, we released an EP of his music. He's a really, you know, modern day Renaissance man who can, he paints, he's a musician, an amazing graphic designer. And we were fortunate to work with him at the gallery space on the record label front, as well as a profile in the most recent issue.
0: And isn't it brilliant as well, Justin? I mean, you said about the hiatus of three years that now finally, especially, you know, a busy man like you, you can travel, go to Paris, you know, to do some, you know, business and kind of see new things. And I think that's so important. That's that that, that that's quite special, right, in a way.
3: It's everything. You know, travel was really the inspiration of the magazine in the first point. There was one trip in particular going to Japan, Dubai and London for my last job. And that really was the kickoff to the inspiration for the magazine in general and for the brand. So travel and having the magazine back, it's so nice to have it back and to be able to hold something and, you know, nothing beats print. And so it's really nice to have that back.
0: And I'll, I'll give a little teaser to our listeners because I'm holding actually the poster that comes inside yeah. Franchise, Game and Death, First Page Video, Ashaiman. It's 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 a thing of beauty, right? I mean, I can totally see many people's homes. And tell us a bit more about the poster. And I and I love that. That's what I like about magazines. That It's tactile. It's something quite fun as well to see it in the middle of a magazine.
3: Yeah, I, I love. So that's by a, a collective of artists, Deadly Prey Gallery, Ghanaian artists who you know do their interpretation of movie posters and that one right there is so cool because it's got Bruce Lee and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and so it's really an amazing poster amazing piece of work and we're so fortunate to work with the, that collective of artists in their gallery Deadly Prey because you know it's it's they've they do a variety of artwork when we were speaking with them specifically asked to highlight their basketball related content so there's some films in there that Aren't necessarily basketball centric, but it like the John Wick film, but it features Boban, a basketball player in the film. So they painted him on the poster they did. So it's a really cool feature and it's a really cool section of that uh, we could highlight
0: these artists. And a little bit of a left field question for you, Justine. And of course, I'm not an expert on basketball, although I think it's a very fun sport. Do you read much of the basketball press? You know, of course, your magazine has a kind of a different take on it. But do you read perhaps Mm -hmm. the more traditional magazines on the topic?
3: Probably not as much as the average fan. I, I do pay attention to them and I do, you know, like I do check them out. I think there's less and less physical ones these days. There's, of course, the iconic legendary brand Slam which I'll, I'll flip through occasionally and you know they definitely speak to a core audience and a, a specific audience with franchise we would love to reach that basketball audience as much as the you know music audience as much as the art world uh you know trying to it's always great if someone could pick up the magazine and be like oh i'm a fan of sue bird but then find out about an artist like you know, jacob rochester and vice versa so it's it's really kind of uh ideally a gateway to you know, curate and showcase different aspects of this world of franchise
0: thank you very much justin and the new issue of franchise magazine is out now more info on their website this is franchise.com and finally on the show 20 seconds a biannual print title on experimental music and art based in berlin their beautiful issue 5 arrived in Midori House, and I spoke with their editor in chief, Daniel Melfi, who also explains what is experimental. Daniel Melfi, welcome to Monaco 24. A pleasure talking to you about your magazine. 20 seconds. I have issue five in front of me. I also have issue four. But first of all, Daniel, give us an introduction of this title, which you founded back in 2020, right? Which is kind of in the beginning of the pandemic, I believe, right?
4: That's right. First of all, thank you for having me, Fernando. It's good to be here on the stack. And looking back, it does seem perhaps like we founded the magazine at a pivotal moment, you could say. But of course, like many projects, the work actually began long before January 2020 even in the fall of 2018 but it did happen that way that we published and released our first issue we hosted a few launch events started to spread the word and then things changed very rapidly but to give a sense of where the magazine began it was a response of sorts to my experience and the experience of many of my colleagues and collaborators who had been working in cultural journalism across Europe and North America mainly. I had been working in Berlin primarily as a music journalist on the arts and culture beat. And it was a project I decided to found with a colleague of mine, Matthew Liegio, who's based in Toronto, as an answer of sort to what we felt was a, a direction that cultural journalism was heading that wasn't particularly satisfying in terms of the speed at which things were being produced, and as a result, the speed at which we felt things were meant to be engaged with, understood, and processed in a way. And that's actually where the pandemic really, in hindsight, seems to play into things, because we felt that things were moving very fast. And we got the feeling, in terms of the commissions we were being offered and the projects we were undertaking, that things were beginning to speed up almost too quickly. And that quality was beginning to be sacrificed or at least the depth, perhaps that more than anything else was beginning to be sacrificed. And so this project was a response to that. It was our way of saying, let's slow down. Let's take a step back and analyze. What are we reading and why? What kind of images are we looking at? How do they make us feel? Because I know from a very personal perspective, I felt as a writer that There wasn't enough space being offered and there wasn't enough time being offered to do quality work. And that's where the pandemic comes in, in terms of the fact that everything changed after that. And all of a sudden we didn't have so many events and openings. Especially
0: with arts and culture, I kind of agree with you, because sometimes, you know, from serious to not very serious publications, sometimes it's literally the same topics and the same people that you hear over and over again of course the take of Der Spiegel might be different from Bild for example talking about Germany but it does feel like that so it's nice that the magazine for example when I was reading issue five there's a story that caught my eye here an interview with Hubert Kretschmer which I had no idea but I thought it was an excellent interview of someone that I never heard of and an interesting story I think that's what you wanted to do with 20 seconds as well right?
4: That's exactly it. And the example of Hubert Kretschmer in Munich and his artist archive publications is a really great choice because Hubert has been collecting publications, almost entirely independent public artist publications from the early seventies. And his perspective is really interesting because he has the perspective of time to realize that social movements engendered by the people themselves take a different approach and have different motivations. And that's something we really try to highlight and really try to explore when we're doing interviews and when we're selecting stories.
0: And let's talk about the music side of the magazine. Can you describe, of course, the magazine self-titled, the magazine for experimental music and art? I mean, it's going to sound a very simple question, but what's experimental music? So, for example, you speak to people like Kyoka, which I think she's a sound designer? Can I say that? So I'm curious because, you know, I love music and I love discovering new music as well and new people. So what type of artist are you you thinking about featuring in 20 seconds?
4: I'm really glad you asked that question because it's actually quite a contentious term, Mm. especially in a city like Berlin, which has such a long and ongoing history with what people might call experimental music or experimentation in general. And in our very first issue, I did an interview with Berlin-based experimental music artist and also sound designer Grisha Lichtenberger, where he calls out experimental music as an almost empty term when it's not related to the hypothesis involved in the action of creating in general. And I was really happy when he brought that up all those years ago, because that's exactly what we tried to explore. It's definitely more a magazine based on exploring experimentation as a philosophy of praxis in general in the sense that we try to interview people about topics that don't necessarily have clear answers and that cannot be put in that box per se. Now of course if you begin to research or try to map out schematic diagram of sorts you might see certain trends in the way maybe a culture relates to a certain music. But it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly what experimental music is. And so I think it's definitely based on exploring a sense of the unknown, trying to break new ground.
0: I think your answer is excellent because I think some people think, oh, there is an experimental sound. And I probably not because otherwise it wouldn't be experimental in a way, right? So very good answer. I like that. (laughs) Uh, and, And Daniel, tell us a bit more about... The business model. There's no advertising in the magazine. You have a wonderful website. Issue five. So clearly things are going well. Do you have like a loyal fan base? How do you connect with your readers, or even how they might find out more about Twenty Seconds? How do you get a new reader? Do you sell in the newsstands, subscriptions? I'm curious about that business side
4: of things. Well, that's also a really important question because. We are a relatively young project. As we're talking, we've just released Issue 5. We're currently working on Issue 6. And we began, like many new projects, actually. We had an initial Kickstarter campaign to raise some funds right, right at the beginning. And then after that, it's been quite a combination of some of our own independent contributions from our other jobs, because we are a team of... A variety of mixed-age contributors that work across many fields as publishers, editors, musicians, graphic designers, and so on. And we do have a growing dedicated readership, I would say. I'm happy to say consistently that I notice the same buyers, issue after issue. And this kind of relates back, I think, to the way the magazine is structured, that it's not necessarily a magazine that might jump off the shelf with a very sharp and um, explosive cover of someone's face that perhaps you might recognize. Instead, we try to attract somebody really interested a little bit in exploring what might be within the title. So going back to the business model, we've been very, very serious about not wanting to have advertisements in it and wanting to attract people and wanting to attract people who might support us financially, whether as a reader or as a financial backer based on the quality of independent content within the magazine. But without a doubt, it's been a struggle. It hasn't been easier. It hasn't been easy rather, and we are not swimming in funds, but we are constantly searching for ways to branch out to raise funds, whether that's through events, perhaps selling things like t-shirts, you know, the old classic independent music model that you used to find at a concert where the band would say, please support us, buy our CDs, buy our t-shirts, and selling magazines as best we can. And I would say most of our sales come from our online website and from local independent magazine shops across the world so far, really, and through our our UK distributor, for example.
0: I was going to ask, I mean, you're based in Berlin. Is Berlin a good city to be a publisher? Because, of course, we know it's a hub of creativity. But what about when it comes to making magazines? Do you know any other people that are doing similar things as you are?
4: well to start i would say i cannot think of a better city to make an independent magazine i know that london from the outside seems to also be an extremely great place to run a magazine based on the culture and the number of shops that are there i'm from toronto originally and recently i returned and noticed that there really was a gap i know you spoke to the founder of issues magazine shop for example Mm. recently on the show And what Nicola Hamilton said there is absolutely correct, that there was a huge gap in the market there. And we were extremely happy to find our magazines on an independent shop. But when you look at the shop landscape, for example, Berlin is a great city, but perhaps more than anything else, I would say it's the culture of the people there. Of course, there's a lot of movement and people come to Berlin to find new ideas and to find inspiration. But I find that the people who live here really appreciate and value the sense of independence, both in publications, um, in regards to independent print magazines, but also in terms of independent art production, gallery shows, music labels, and so on. So I think that's actually the most important. People are happy and willing to help you sustain a project with good values. Thank
0: you very much, Daniel. Issue five of 20 seconds is out now. More info on 20secondsmag.com. That's it for this week's show. My thanks as ever to our editor Aden Hiten. If you have any comments or queries, email me Fernando at fbnmonaco.com. And we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen again at Monaco.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Go there and subscribe. Before we go, a little song for you. This is kind of basketball related. Too Unlimited. Get ready for this. You've been listening to the Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me.